Welcome to Weapon of Choice, a podcast where creatives across mediums give us insight into the weaponry of their art. Each episode, you'll be hearing an interview with an artist who uses their art as a weapon of choice for social change and disruption, visibility and justice, cultural critique and resistance, among other things that ignite social consciousness and community action. These artists will tell us about their journeys toward the battles they are fighting, how they design, sharpen, and develop their artistic weaponry to strike a blow against injustice in the world. You're listening to Weapon of Choice Podcast. We're your hosts, Andrew Benda. And Tommy Franklin. And we've got a little bit of a surprise. It was a surprise to us, but we've got a little bit of a surprise for you guys. Surprise, surprise. Live episode. Tell me what happened. How, how did we get here? Uh, I still don't. I still don't know the whole story. I do know that Pussy Riot on their first U.S. tour um, had a couple stops in Chicago, and then they were in St. Paul last Saturday. So t- this was uh, this was a show at the Turf Club. Um, it was a concert, sort of. Can you tell everybody why it wasn't just a concert, Tommy? Yeah, I mean, Pussy Riot, they're not just musicians, and this definitely wasn't just a concert. They uh, came to town, and while they're ripping and running through this U.S. tour, they want to collaborate with artists and activists in every city they go to, and that's why we were blessed with this opportunity to talk about more than just the music, more than just Pussy Riot, the band. They really wanted to engage the community in a conversation through Sam, who spoke, and through this Q&A before the performance. And it was a powerful moment. You could feel it in the room, sold-out show. It was just an amazing thing that I hope can uh, trail through city to city and really inspire people to take action anywhere they happen to live. The show had three parts. Uh, It started with a piece by... Samantha Pre-Stinson. Shout-out to Sam. And then it moved on to our weapon of choice, Q&A. Um, and then it, the show ended with a concert by Pussy Riot. We were not, um, you know, they were gracious enough to let us record the interview. Uh, we also filmed it, so that will be that will be uploaded soon. Um, and so that's what we've that's what we've got for you today. Yeah, it was it was super surreal, y'all. And uh, shout out to Pussy Riot and Nadia and uh, for their generosity and bringing us in the fold. And Pussy Riot is just ripping it through the country. They're doing Pussy Riot rallies. So people call them concerts and think they're going to a music show, but they're rallies. And so they're bringing up local activists and freedom fighters and artists on stage to collaborate every city they go to, which makes them one of my favorite bands for life. Without further ado, here's Pussy Riot. Thank you for coming. Um, <coughs> looks good. Um, I want to welcome a strong, black, conscious woman to the stage. She's an army veteran and local activist in Minneapolis. She ran for office last year, and tonight she will challenge your perspective. Samantha Bree Stinson. How's everybody doing tonight? So a couple of days ago, I got a really random ass Facebook IM that I thought was complete bullshit from Nadia. So I emailed and I'm like, this is bullshit. Up until the time I got to the door, I said, I'm gonna get there, my name's not gonna be on the list, and I'm gonna Facebook rage mad live that somebody pranked me. 
but clearly that's not the case. Um, so I'm so hard for the acts of hope and, and all of that bullshit. It's, it's time for all of that to end. What we need is change in the form of action and speaking out about racism, classism, sexism, Islamophobia, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, all the isms and phobias. I'm talking about the indigenous people whose land that we're standing on right now while we're enjoying our fucking drinks. The marginalized, the underserved, the women who without them this planet would have no humans. We're so quick to tell each other and point out other people's bullshit, but I want everybody to look at yourselves, which is really hard to do. Look at yourself and ask yourself, how many times have you actually called yourself out about your own fucking bullshit? How many times have you walked past somebody starving, but you have a full belly? How many times have you heard a bullshit water cooler conversation and said nothing? When I say black neighborhood, do the same thoughts flood your head as when I say Edina? When I say women, is white the implied you in your thought? Did you join the women's march and put on your cute little pink pussy hat and never ask yourself, where's the black and the brown ones? Have you ever said those people? Have you ever wondered why the only history that you know is your own? And did you know that the number of minorities who have ever served in our federal government fit on one side of an 11, eight by 11 piece of paper, double spaced, 14 point font, and there's still half a page of room to fill more? When you get pulled over, do you worry that you might be taking your last breath? Own your own bullshit and call yourself out and stop crying over your white guilt some white people are so privileged in their existence that they refuse to acknowledge the privilege and arguing that they fucking have it. Use your privilege to change somebody else's odds and chances to not just live but to thrive. I don't think these are radical thoughts. I think it's being a good human being. And it's not about agreement or who's right, it's about being just. And not everything is a government solution. Having strong, empowered neighborhoods that are dedicated to the health of others is a people-to-people -people solution, and that's where it starts. And as a black Latina woman in this country, I spent 18 years being programmed and conditioned to think that I was less. I was never the main character. My culture was crammed into the month of February, which is the shortest month of the year. 2% of black women are engineers and it took a movie called Hidden Figures for the truth of our contributions to be known. As a college educated woman working full time, I earn 63 cents less for every dollar that a white woman earns. Women of color make up half of the low wage working force and women of color make up less than 4% of executive leadership positions. The college graduation rate for women of color continues to rise, but you can see that there's really no difference between being educated and being undereducated in this country when you're a woman of color. Woo! It's time for each and every one of us to own our own bullshit and start our own personal truth journey right here, right now, in this space. Own your own narrative, stop being Minnesota nice, and start being Minnesota real and Minnesota effective, and be human. 
for every Ariel Dinkins, Gregory Gunn, Samuel DuBose, Brendan Glenn, Freddie Gray, Natasha McKenna, Walter Scott, Christian Taylor, Michael Brown Jr., Ezell Ford, Eric Garner, Akai Gurley, Laquan McDonald, Tamir Rice, Yvette Smith, Jamar Clark, Marcus Golden, Rakia Boyd, Sharice Francis, George Washington Sr., Fung Lee, Philando Castile, Marcus Golden, for all of these lives and more. These are just the ones we know. And that doesn't include the women, that doesn't include the indigenous people, that doesn't include women who are sex trafficked. All of these lives that I named snuffed out for every Malcolm X, for every Martin Luther King Jr., and for every Fred Hampton. I want you to put your fist in the air and repeat this chant with me from Asada Shakur. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love and support one another. We have nothing to lose but our chains. My name is Samantha Priestenson, and I am a soldier. I am a wife, I am a mother to three black princes. And I wanna give a special th uh, shout out and a thank you, first of all, to Pussy Riot for allowing me to come up here and share some perspective with you. I wanna give a shout out to my husband of the last 20 years who has stood with me and been my backbone and at times when I didn't think I could do it, he was the one that told me that I could. Preston Stinson, I love you, you are my heart, you are my king. I wanna give a shout out to my sisters in the movement, specifically Reverend Dr. Nakima Levy Pounds, who inspired me and is another person who told me that I could keep going when nobody thought that I could. I ran for office in an all-white ward in Ward 3, which contains downtown Minneapolis in a place where we've never had a person of color be able to sit in that seat. I left the two-party system because it was bullshit and nothing gets done, and I joined the Green Party to do something different, even though I knew that I was already crippled by being a black woman and I took on yet another chain because I knew that was a way to prove that I was legit and I was real and I was done with the bullshit. If you wanna make a difference, then it starts with you. And if you don't believe in yourself, then you're never gonna be able to get anything done. And I also wanna give a shout out to my boss who in a very strange turn of events I saw a Facebook post from somebody I didn't know that he was looking for a right hand. And I looked at that job description and I was like, he posted my resume. I'm gonna apply. So he's in the house tonight. I wanna give a special shout out to Minneapolis Councilman representing the fourth ward, North Minneapolis, Philippe Cunningham, who is the first out black male, transgender, queer, elected official in the whole United States. And as his senior policy advisor, I get to go into work every fucking day with my hair in the afro and my fist held high and he never once tells me not to do it because it is our time. Time is fucking up. And if you haven't figured it out, you've been put on notice. 
We are going to make a difference. We are going to make change, and we don't care who likes it because, again, it's not about being right. It's about being just. Thank you so much for hearing me out tonight. Pussy Riot, everybody. Uh, please welcome to the stage Tommy Franklin. Um, we'll have a conversation with him right now. Tommy is a writer and filmmaker with a strong eye towards social justice and political activism. I'm happy that he's joining us today. And uh, I know uh, about Tony that he has a special interest uh, in prison topics, which is obviously an important topic uh, for me. Uh, since I spent two years uh, in uh, Russian jail. Tommy? Hey, everybody. Y'all hear me? So it's really an honor to be asked to uh, have this conversation with such a wonderful artist and powerful being in this world. And this is also a live recording of Weapon of Choice podcast. So check that out. So we're honored to be here with you. Let's get into it, y'all. So why is, why is music your weapon of choice? And what battles are you fighting? Um, not, not just music, really. No. Um, we are, like, it's pretty funny that I guess most of people here came to um, see a music concert, though we're not musicians um, at all. Um, <clears throat> and at some point when Putin decided to come um, to run for the third term, <clears throat> we were really disappointed and we thought we'll create a fake music band to um, shout and scream on the streets um, and different bad words against Vladimir Putin. Uh, because um, <clears throat> you know, once he decided to run for the run for the office, I mean, it's not it's not really elections. It's not it's it's a fake thing. But he, he just announced in front of everybody that uh, he will be in office for the next <clears throat> six years. Um, we went down on street and we saw that <clears throat> um, street musicians are singing uh, about love and about. Um, sun and about flowers, which are good things, but we thought it would be good if somebody will be out there on the streets singing about uh, political protest, about uh, injustice, about inequality. And we created this fake band, but we didn't know how to play the guitars. Mm. <clears throat> and so um, we played just three shows in Chicago, and uh, a couple of people came to us after uh, shows, and they were like, um, why didn't you play the guitar? I'm like, because I don't know how to play the guitar. <laughs> And um, <clears throat> Nick, another member of Pussy Riot, he was like, I don't know how to play the guitar either. So, <laughs> but he was like, but I really, um, the, the, the guy who came to us, he was like, but I really love your previous old stuff and you played the guitars. I mean, we didn't because we just stole some samples from uh, oi punk bands from England. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and <clears throat> so yeah, our, art is a, our weapon, I guess, yeah. but not, not I love music, but uh, art. It's one of. <laughs> Music is one of the weapons, and it's a powerful tool. And what has been, uh, how has punk been a powerful thing for you along this journey? Um, I was looking for everything political, so I'm, I'm just, 
Um, I have a boner on uh, political topics, especially when we're coming from <clears throat> Russia. I think it's it's kind of obvious that you have to work on the political environment because it's not it's not good at all. Um, so I was studying philosophy in my um, university. I was looking for ways how to make my work political, and it wasn't easy because um, you're. Um, I mean, you're definitely not being encouraged to be political one if you're a student in government university, uh, in state university. Um, and uh, I was looking for <clears throat> political stuff in uh, music and art, and uh, so mm. it, it was, it yeah. was punk. Uh, yeah. You know, Pussy Riot is a, an art collective, definitely. <clears throat> How has that art collective impacted the group and contributed to the ever-evolving image of anyone can be in Pussy Riot? Like, what does that mean, and why is that important? Um, yeah, I mean, Pussy Riot just played in Hungary, I think, a couple of hours ago, <laughs> and I'm here. <laughs> and sometimes people are, oh, you're coming to Sweden. And I'm like, yeah, it looks like Pussy Riot are coming to Sweden, but it's not me. And um, that's the thing, when we created Pussy Riot, <clears throat> we knew from the very beginning that we cannot own it. <clears throat> and it's part of our ideology. So anybody can be part of Pussy Riot. You can create your own um, Pussy Riot and you can travel, you can tour, you can, you can tour in the streets, you can tour in clubs and do whatever you want. Um, we're just giving you <clears throat> a set of principles, but you're free to operate with what you get from us. Beautiful. And this, this, is, this is your first North American tour. Let's welcome. Welcome to yeah. mm. uh, Thanks. So, your first North American tour, it couldn't come at a riper time in these times of the Me Too movement, Time's Up, student activism in Florida and nationwide, the hatred and bigotry of Donald Trump. Do you feel through touring venues, and perhaps specifically American venues, that you were making any concessions to your art? I'm no, not really. Um, and no, I, I, I'm not going to do it. Um, and uh, and I, I want to talk about American politics. And I know other members of Wissy Right are pretty vocal about um, American issues, and uh, they're um, remaining critical about um, issues in every country when they're trying uh, when they're coming to. I know when I'm coming to Australia, we're meeting local activists and uh, asking them about their local issues. And we know that we uh, have a spot at, say, Sydney Opera House, and we can talk about things. And we don't want to talk just about Vladimir Putin, because it's kind of an, a common place here to criticize Vladimir Putin. It's kind of obvious that he's an asshole. But we want to uh, <laughs> touch local important topics. Uh, we want to help people who are fighting here with local issues, and that's why we're connecting with activists like you who are fighting for your own causes here, and we want you to talk about things that are important for you. Mm -hmm. And coming, coming, yeah. So you can help us to make it more radical than it could be, because you know, obviously we don't know about lots of things that are happening here because we're from Moscow and work in our, on our stuff in Moscow, but hopefully through our connection we can make it more efficient politically what are what are some of the lessons um, things you've learned coming out of Russia that you are excited to share with other parts of the globe in terms of political activism um, the importance of using art 
you know, you know, <laughs> as much as I do. Um, you know, when you have not a lot of people, certainly if you have millions and millions of people who are ready to march on the streets, um, they can they can make a revolution um, without art, I guess. But um, if you have like five or six or ten people who are ready to act right here and right now, but it, and <clears throat> it's unlikely that you will do a revolution just on your own means, but you can inspire and shift perspective in the minds of lots of people if you use art weapon because it really amplifies your voice. Mm. That's right. So, you know, there's, there's a risk to all actions and forms of activism, and Pussy Riot is all too intimately familiar with these risks. Two of the collective being in prison for two years, your alternative media outlet, Media Zona, journalists, and even more recently, a couple of band members were detained by, by police and then let go, thankfully. How do you navigate fear while you charge headfirst into your actions and activism? Let's start from the fact that everybody has fear and uh, it's just basic human instinct and it really helps us to survive. But you know, you're, you're right in, uh, in this term of managing fear. So it's, it's important to manage your fear so it will not make you silent. Um, dumb and courageous, uh, <laughs> th <laughs> that's uh, how I can um, describe lots of members of Pussy Red. Um, <clears throat> including those who went to Crimea to make an action recently, I wasn't uh, among them this time, but um, I started to worry about them at the time when they decided to go there. Because you know, if you if you know what is Crimea for Russia, it is is a tough place. They after Putin next Crimea, he treats treats it like a war zone uh, because he's really extremely nervous and uh, scared of um, people who are fighting for um, Crimea being a Ukrainian peninsula. Um, so he's putting in prison everybody who starts trying to um, stand for um, Ukrainian Crimea. And uh, so our friends went there, and actually they weren't um, detained by uh, police, which would be not that bad, but they were detained by FSB. And um, they're watching every year move when you're um, trying to make action, and that's what happened with my friends. Um, once they um, arrived, on their airplane to Crimea, they were detained for five years, uh, five, five, um, sorry, five hours. And then they were free for 40 minutes, and then after that they were detained for another four hours. They were free for half an hour, and after that they were detained for another six hours. And they uh, disappeared on the way from uh, Crimea to Moscow, so we didn't know about them for two days, uh, what's going on with them. And apparently, um, it turned out that FSB broke their phones and their computers, they were, in the middle of nowhere without any communication, mm -hmm. but they managed to go to go back to Moscow. So it's not it's not easy to be an activist in Moscow these days and in in, in Russia these days. Mm -hmm. You can be um, put in prison because of retweet, not even your own tweet, but you know if you retweeting a call to action like let's go tomorrow to this and this and this rally, you can be you can be put in prison because of that. Mm. Um, but I, I, mean, I, I wanted actually you to talk uh, about your prison activism because I think it's really important and uh, maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, um, so we, we were talking for a while. Um, I spent three years incarcerated in five different prisons in Minnesota. And uh, <laughs> why they bounced me around to five prisons, I don't know. But 
Still don't know. Because you maybe you wanted to they, they, be vocal or they, something. They kind of they kind of want you to slip up if you actually have a a good shot at getting out. The system likes to set traps um, for you to you know when you're navigating entering a prison you might you best practice is to be like clicked up or with a gang or whatever and so every time you're entering a new facility in a new world you're you're finding a, a brand new fresh fresh pancake batter way to survive you know. And, yeah, uh, I changed 12 prisons. 12? Yeah. <laughs> 12. So, I mean, in, in two years, right? In two years. So in two years, and how much of that was solitary confinement? Um, not much. Not much? Yeah, not but much. What about lot, you? A lot of moving. Thankfully, I got, I got home early in three years instead of 12. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, you know, did you... When you were when you were incarcerated, did you have to did you have to tap into or discover something new inside yourself to endure that time? It actually gives you strength. The so I, I think it's really like we have to communicate somehow to authoritarian leaders that it's really no um, there is no meaning of putting political actors to prison because they're you know history tells us that in most cases they're just becoming stronger. And, um, you know, when you are in jail, um, you don't have to work in jail. Like, you have to work in penal colony. It's kind of a labor um, camp still in, in Russia. But, you know, once um, before, before trial, when you are in jail, uh, pre-trial detention, you have opportunity to read and um, read, read, obviously, lots of literature, lots of Russian classics, you know, finding out beautiful things like, you know, Dostoevsky, he spent um, four years in uh, jail. He had to um, work really hard every day. And that what made him such a brilliant writer. Um, so, and it, it really give, gives you strength, mm -hmm. give you power, mm -hmm. make you more convicted. And uh, another thing which was good to me um, that I connected with people from really different regions and from really different regions of Russia yeah. and really different backgrounds and, uh, you know, social conditions. Yeah. Um, when you're an activist in Moscow, you're, I mean, you don't really communicate with um, whole lots of people from, from different um, regions of Russia. But when you're in prison, <laughs> you just have to. And it's beautiful because you understand that, um, not that many of them really supporting Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. It's manufactured, the statistic is manufactured. Um, it's all this bullshit about 86% supporting Vladimir Putin. I would say it's much less. Mm -hmm. Lots of people really understand that we are living in injustice, that our government is corrupt. But they're the only one problem is that they don't believe that something can be changed. They don't have tools, they don't have this set of tools, and so our, I guess our work as an activist is to give them these tools and really persuade them that they can change situation. Yeah. And, but it, um, it's not it's not a uniquely Russian situation, I guess the same right. thing works here, because I, I know lots of Americans who say that we cannot influence um, what's going on in the White House, like where are we and where, where are those people, like we we're not connected anyhow. Mm. But you know that's the thing. So people do have power, but they have to believe that they do have power, and then they yeah. will have this power. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's so interesting. Like, it's 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 so interesting. Sometimes when you can actually gain more than you lost the time that you were in prison. I know for me, um, I was just 
looking for like good conversations or lengthy or scintillating conversations and dialogue and wasn't always available. And I would even write to the, like the prison therapist, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with me, but I just want to talk, you know? And they would write me back like, sorry, Mr. Franklin, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. You don't, get to, you don't get to see a therapist. So I really was struggling to find any conversations that got me excited. So that's why we were talking about my writing. I started writing screenplays for that reason. I just created two characters to have a conversation. <laughs> and then that's why I started writing movies. But um, yeah, you know, you know, and you make connections with people inside and then you get out. We're, so we are formerly incarcerated individuals. We know that in this country, um, the barriers that you face as a formerly incarcerated person, housing, jobs, democracy, there's so many of those barriers can like send you right back to prison because the system is set up that way. What, um, you know, the connections, some of the connections you made since being released, uh, what barriers have you seen people or even perhaps non-artists um, or artists alike, what barriers have you seen them face after coming out of prison, people you've gotten to know? They kind of get a job I mean, they, they cannot get any job. I'm not talking about even about good paid job. But um, if they somehow get a job, um, their bosses know that they don't have any rights. They, they, cannot, they cannot complain. Um, basically, they have to work even more than they used to work in prison. And women in prison worked um, in prison where I had to spend two years, they work for 16 hours a day without any day offs. And I contacted some of them who were released and they're working even more slave-like conditions after prison because they're not real members of our society. They're not supported in any way. And um, that's something that should be addressed because that what makes uh, a lot of people who were formerly incarcerated to commit new crimes, they just have to survive somehow, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we yeah. should incorporate them somehow in society. It wasn't a problem for me, surely, um, because I mean, um, we got a lot of support, and so we, we had a lot of people who supported us after we um, le left the prison, but um, shelters for those people who are um, who left the prison, they have to leave somewhere. For mm -hmm. a lot of uh, prisoners, they don't, they, they're not excited about leaving prison because they don't know where to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know we talk about drug sentencing and jobs and voting and housing and all of that, but let's make sure that in our minds we're prioritizing uh, incarcerated women and mothers because that issue around the criminal justice system should be at the forefront for this to, for us to really like break that ceiling of getting some justice in this in the in a system, so um. I went to Rikers Island in uh, New York for a couple of times, and uh -huh. uh, I was shocked. Really, um, I was standing in line, and uh, I was shocked because uh, because of racism, because I couldn't see when one white person in that line. It means that um, all people in prisons in America are non-white, and it, gets, um, it was odd to me. Mm. Yeah. What does it mean? If you're white, you kind of go to prison, or? Uh, <sighs> <sighs> you know what's going on. Yeah. All right, so we'll... <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> let's talk about something more positive. Since the campaign for president, you've talked about Donald Trump's behaviors, 
and their parallels to Putin. What do you think is essential for Americans to do, and how can art be utilized to foster change? Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not really in position to tell Americans what to do about their president because they could they they could find out what they should do. Yeah, and so how is how is art? Have you seen art as a as a as a bright tunnel to? wake the world up to any issue, whether it's coming out of Russia and having to do with the way you channel your art. How do you see that making some significant change on your journey? You're writing scripts so you know that you're creating worlds, you're creating dreams, mm -hmm. and you, you may create another world and show, um, show a glimpse of it to other people mm -hmm. so they um, know that it's possible to think another way is possible to live another way. I, I guess what we what art really can help us to do is to dream again, because we don't. Like, you know, as kids, we dream a lot, but you know, once we are adults, we stop dreaming and we have to. We're just dealing with things that we have, yeah. and. Um, I mean, we're not asking status quo. We're not asking radical questions anymore. Um, when we were kids, we were like, yeah, why, why, we sh why should we do this and that? Because she told us, because he told us, and we were always asking it. But you know, we, we, have, we are adults, we have our bosses, we have our presidents, we have our elected officials, and we stop asking ourselves why should we um, treat them seriously if they don't respect us. And, and when you were a kid, you were quite fond of Tom and Jerry. And... <laughs> So how has that uh, affinity for Tom and Jerry come full circle in your political art today? I don't know, just have fun. There's some comparisons? Know, have like, personal comparisons. Like, I, mean, as I told you, I, I, I see myself as a Jerry and I see Putin's regime as a Tom. And so we have to, we have to beat him. He's trying to catch us. And then you, you, you can't be serious all the time, especially if you're facing um, you know, pretty serious um, enemies. I mean, you, you, you will be crying all the time. You'll be deep in the fear all the time if you'll not have fun, um, if you'll not be self-ironic. Mm -hmm. So that, Tom and Jerry helped me a lot. Mm. Mm. And, and again, you know, I know if somebody will smash me and I will, you know, be in, this, in the shape of a radiator, I can survive, and uh, I'll be back to my normal shape after five seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I wanna talk about, you know, this amazing thing. Does anybody know about Mediazona? All right. Well, everybody's gonna know. Mediazona, it's an alternative media outlet that's dedicated to covering everything that's going on. And you know, MediaZona, it aims to reclaim a piece of the media in a state-run landscape that is Russian media. Tell us some truths about the media climate in Russia and what does MediaZona aim to subvert? Um, truth is that the climate is shitty as hell, um, especially after 2014 when uh, Putin annexed Crimea, he started the war in Ukraine in Eastern Ukraine, uh, he didn't want truth to be told by anybody, and uh, he started to uh, attack journalists on a daily basis. He started to attack uh, political activists on a daily basis. Uh, he destroyed most of independent media outlets in um, Russia at the time. Uh, so now we have just um, a few of them, really, uh, for the whole country. Everything. 
Um, almost everything is controlled by Kremlin uh, or owned directly by Kremlin. Um, and they, they do have a list of people who they cannot mention. Um, and so they sometimes they're trying to find words to um, avoid really important political personnel who is opposing Putin, but they cannot mention him. So they're trying to say the key, he, he, but who, who is he? Who mm. the fuck is he? And uh, mm. you know, he's like a person without name. Um, so, no, yeah, but he's on the good side. Uh, mm. <laughs> actually, uh, the person who I'm describing is Alexei Navalny, and you, you can see um, a picture of Alexei Navalny's brother, who's in jail right now. Uh, his name is Alek Navalny, and he's only one fault, that he's a brother of uh, oppositional politician. So like, the, our regime is uh, fucked up to the level that they don't want to mess with really a prominent politician who is opposing them, but they put his brother instead in prison, hoping to make Alexei Navalny, the politician, silent. So uh, Alek Navalny draw these um, pictures from prison and he sent it to us through his lawyers to make this video, um, and we will show you this video soon. Wow. Um, yeah, so we, <laughs> we made Media Zona. Um, it's not easy. Uh, we are self-funded. We're trying to find money here and there. Uh, we definitely cannot find this money, um, I don't know, from Russian investors because <laughs> they will, their business will be shut down in a second. Um, we cannot make a lot of money on advertising because we're writing about death in police departments. We're, we're writing about uh, prosecutions of political activists, tortures in um, FSB. So you know, not, not a lot of businesses wanted to advertise their stuff uh, in uh, our media outlet. Um, our journalists, they're be, um, thinking about themselves more like about kamikazes, who can be beat, who can be arrested at any time, who can be um, murdered, because we did have cases of uh, oppositional journalists being murdered by Putin's regime. Mm. But yeah, we, we are working, um, and I uh, think they're incredible. They're full of joy and fun instead of all this bullshit um, yeah. that uh, coming through their faces every day. Again, you cannot live without humor and irony. Yeah, and you're work, you, you've been working so hard to make this uh, media zona, um, you know, full of steam and strong. What do media zona staff conversations about each other's safety look like? Um, I mean, they don't, they decided for themselves that they're fine if something bad will happen with them. So they do whatever they need to do in, um, in order to get information, mm -hmm. in order to be sure that um, they will tell about um, abuses of human rights in different parts of Russia, especially if you go to south of Russia, if you go to Chechnya, you know, you may have heard of Chechnya because of um, this, um, information were revealed uh, a couple of months ago about tortures and kidnapping of uh, gay people in Chechnya. Um, so yeah, if you go there to cover this type of events, you you definitely can be killed too. You know, and most people hear civil rights, the term civil rights, and they think of movements and marches and issues. But how would you like to see the narrative around civil rights more connected to the daily lives of world citizens? Um, that's crucial because um, 
if we think about politics as about something else which is uh, separated from our everyday lives, um, we'll never get that much power that we can get uh, if we really try to um, um, make politics part of our everyday activity. And um, I think, like, taking a look back at their history, if you think about 60s, if you think about 70s, uh, the time when uh, our parents and grandparents gained, gained a lot of uh, civil rights freedoms uh, for us, um, they really lived by politics. They, they didn't um, think about themselves as something separate from politics. Mm -hmm. It was cool, first of all, to be a political human being. And that's where music and where art can really help mm -hmm. uh, make politics cool again. And I think that's what's happening in the United States. Um, it's not, it's not uh, easy to uh, convince uh, Russian youth to be political. Because for a lot of them, to be political means to be like super serious and um, I know just not not fun. But um, yeah, we've been trying to work on that. Yeah, and you know, back you know, you brought up fun, your music and uh, some of the satire and humor in it is a remarkable thing. Can you tell us about the importance of of making fun of things and what are the ways do you want to spread joy in activism? I don't think. Should we just let's, show it? Let's, yeah. Let's, <laughs> Soon, <laughs> soon. Uh, um, so, and so, how do you balance cynicism and hope? How do you find that balance? Cynical hope. Uh, yeah. I don't, yeah. Angry optimism. <laughs> <laughs> my my name on Russian means uh, hope. Yeah, So I mean, I don't have to fight for hope. I kind of have it. So uh -huh. I'm just cynical um, hope. Uh huh. Uh, what do you, this is a completely open-ended open question, so take it wherever you like. What are you tired of hearing? Of hearing? Um, why are you not afraid of going back to Russia? I'm like, um, I, didn't, I didn't really know what to say. <laughs> it's just, it's my home country. <laughs> Why should I? Um, mm -hmm. I know. Should we should we wrap it up? And um, I wanted to ask you. I mean, because we have to play <laughs> soon. <actually. laughs> and, uh, I I wanted to ask you to. Um, I know maybe you have some call to actions for those people who came here today, and we can make this gathering somehow helpful to your city. Well. You know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you know, I didn't bring a calendar, but I'm sure you know, you know, March 24th is the date, right? There's gonna be a lot of student action and student walkouts around gun control. And uh, you can clap for that, but State House of Representatives, when they're in session, all y'all asses need to be down there having conversations with your legislators outside of protests. So my call to action would be take just one person, whether they're political or not, whether they're politically engaged or not, to the Capitol and have a conversation. Even if there's like a vote where Republicans are gonna, at the moment, overwhelmingly win that vote, it actually matters that if you sit down with your legislator who might happen to be a Republican and change their mind on a vote, I've seen it in action, I've taken leaders with me to flip somebody within an hour of a vote, even though 
the, the majority would still win that vote, it matters. It matters, especially around issues like healthcare, women's rights. So really, you need to speak up, and you need to get in those halls, and that dusty ass is new, but it's still dusty as hell, that capital. <laughs> get down there and, and, and march on your own. Go to the protest, but I want to say march on your own and bring one person, and you got to start there. You got to start there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nadia, for joining Weapon of Choice. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Pussy Riot. Thank you, Marnie, Matt, and everybody, all the staff at the Turf Club for being so accommodating to us, just kind of flying in there. Um, special shout out to Judd for also dropping everything at a moment's, moment's notice and helping us out. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for Judd took some good video that night. You'll be seeing that. Um, and yeah, you know, shout out to, to the city of Minneapolis and St. Paul and the city pages in the current for putting some good articles out and, you know, letting them know what was going on with that special concert. And it was special, and it was our first live episode, and we were so glad we were able to share that with you. We appreciate you tuning in. And, I mean, hell, we started off a year with that and Alexis Pauline Gums, which is coming, coming soon. Up. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Man. It, was, it was fun. <laughs> it was fun and a great experience for everyone. And we really hope that uh, you had a good time listening to the episode and it was important to you. And that's what we're always going to try to do is just bring you those good conversations about the things we care about and those values that we share with you, you and everyone out there. Oh, I'm looking at our notes. We still... We, yeah, and I see you've got uh, special projects written down. Uh, what's that all about, Andrew? Oh, um, thanks, for, thanks for reminding me about that, Tommy. If you're an artist that's ever worked on a grant uh, or is currently working on a grant, we've got a little bit of a special project that we're working on. So we want to get in touch with you. So reach out to us. Um, you can use the weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. Just shoot us an email. Um, we'll get in touch. We, we want to talk. It's... We're pretty excited about it. Yeah, thanks for reminding folks, because uh, we'll uh, we can't forget that we always want to hear from the people who are listening, because we appreciate you tuning in. And uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, Instagram, at Weapon of Choice Podcast, Facebook, at Weapon of Choice Podcast, Twitter, need a little help there, but that's at Weapon of Choice Pod. Follow them all. Tell your friends and click share, click like. Let us know what you think. We really need you, if you're tuning in through Apple Podcasts and iTunes, to go ahead and leave us that five-star review, that five stars and a review. Um, that really helps get our listenership up. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen any new five-star ratings and reviews lately, so I know some of you are listening, and uh, we appreciate all that, even around the world. If you could really hook us up, I can't not let you know that we need that. So go ahead and leave that five stars and and leave that review. We need your help. We really appreciate it. Let the world know that this show exists and that we're entering season two and tell the world how you feel about listening to a show like ours. Really appreciate that. Hell yeah. Thanks, everybody. All right. Anything else for him? No, I think uh, I'm good, man. All right. Stay tuned. We've got another episode in the works. We've got interviews coming up. We've got special projects. Weapon of Choice is firing on all cylinders, everybody. Stay tuned. See you Peace around. Love.
Vagina gotta go make them numbers. Don't make- 